You're listening to Frontlines, a podcast for the people that truly make mountain biking happen. Not the riders, racers, or product designers, but the builders, advocates, and the often forgotten board members of your local mountain bike trail association. This episode, we explore two different youth programs aimed at getting kids on bikes. The youth is our future. It's cliche to say, but it's as true and relevant within the world of mountain biking as it is anywhere. My first guest runs a number of grassroots youth programs as part of the outreach mandate of the local trail association. It's a great example of focusing on local community needs. My second guest comes from the other end of the spectrum helping to run a national youth program. And although each community runs its own unique program, they have the support of a nationally recognized organization. Both examples do great work, and both achieve the goal of growing and diversifying the sport of mountain biking. They both provide kids with the opportunity to mountain bike, who otherwise may have not had the chance to do so. So whether you're looking to create a youth program with your local trail association, or you're looking to grow and improve on an already existing program, I think you'll find value in what both of my guests have to say. I'm your host, Brent Hillier, and you're listening to the 10th episode of Frontlines. My first guest is Rocky Blondin. Rocky is the director of the Fraser Valley Mountain Bike Association also known as the FVMBA. He's the board representative for Mission British Columbia and is also a self-described community member at large and focuses on youth mountain bike programs in Mission and the Fraser Valley. Hi, Rocky. Welcome to the show. Hey, Brent. Uh, Thanks for having me. How did the program in Mission start? Well, we have a variety of things kind of on the go in Mission and the the history of, of youth bike programming actually goes back a few years. There's a couple of volunteers that operate um, two programs uh, out of various schools in the district, uh, one of which is out of Hatsik Elementary, and it's called just the Bike Club, and they go out once a week. One of the teachers who runs it, um, Glenn, I've known him for uh, as long as I've been in mission, so five or six years now, and he's uh, been doing it at least that long. And the other one is uh, done by Georgina, uh, a fellow volunteer of mine, and she, um, she does a variety of schools uh, in the district that uh, have kids programs through Fraser House, which is another nonprofit here. So that's kind of the, the longstanding programs. What we're doing today through the club, it, it was seeded by that. It was kind of trying to fill voids for the collective community because those programs that are in schools aren't in every school. It's only in select ones, um, as well as a lot of uh, feedback from parents. I'm, I'm a parent myself and I take my kids riding because I'm passionate about it, but uh, for parents that aren't into it and kids that want to get into it, there just wasn't really anything there. So that's uh, why we uh, started doing it. And that we've been doing it through the Leisure Center, myself and a colleague for a couple of years now. Awesome. So one of your programs is called Two Tired Tots and it's, uh, it's getting kids off of training wheels. What other programs or age groups do you work with? So the Two Tired Tots, as you can expect, is from uh, two to however old they are when they still have training wheels on. But beyond that, we've categorized it 7 to 16 years old generally. But what we've come to learn through that is that age is actually relatively irrelevant. Uh, We categorize things now at scale level. So we do try to do beginner and intermediate, and uh, eventually we'll get into advanced once we get enough beginner and intermediate riders out there. 
A big concern that's often brought up with cycling programs and mountain bike programs is is that kids might not necessarily have bikes and that might prevent them from participating in programs like this. Have, have you found that there are kids out there that don't have access to bikes or, or how have you addressed this? Yeah, 100%. Um, so, you know, a lot of times it, it varying circumstances for various people, uh, either they can't afford a bike or they're just not into it. But uh, my favorite story is Rusty Rally. Um, one of the kids I had in a program came out and he showed up with his bike. He was very proud and it was this old rally and it it was very, very rusty and not safe. So as much as he had a bike, it, it just couldn't do what we needed it to for for that kid. We've been very fortunate here in Mission. Um, a few years ago, donation was made to the district to purchase some bikes. So the, the rec center here actually has a fleet of mountain bikes available for these programs. But they're large or, I guess, for teenage-sized kids. And so um, one thing we're working on is getting some for the for the younger younger tykes, 20-inch wheels. Uh, for that seven-year-old and up category kind of age group. So we, we feel it's important along those lines to remove as many barriers to entry as possible for kids just to get out and try it. Because it could be, and I'll speak from a little bit of experience, my kids got into BMX recently and kind of had to drop the gauntlet on picking up a couple BMX bikes, which wasn't in the arsenal. And uh, it can be expensive just to try and, and hope that they like it. So um, Abbots for BMX actually has a fleet of loners, and we're trying to embrace the same philosophy for mountain biking out here. If a community is hoping to to create similar programs, uh, is it one of those things where we're having those bikes for kids to to borrow? Is that important, or or can communities get started with with getting these programs off the ground and, and not necessarily having bikes to borrow? Um, I wouldn't say a community if they were trying to just start would need. That's not a prerequisite. I don't think we we've started here with the various groups that have been doing it for for the years that they have without that. And most important is just to get volunteers like anything when there's volunteers involved. It's really tough to uh, to get or find them. So just get either some people passionate about leading rides or some people passionate about organizing. That's another thing we're working on. And just just start start something small and uh, take it from there. Kids have an opportunity to do a lot of different things, right? And and they can go out, they can play soccer, they can play basketball, uh, baseball, all these different sports and activities. And and why should parents want to get their kids into mountain biking, or why would kids want to get into mountain biking? So yeah, the the ones you mentioned as examples are all generally team sports and. And mountain biking falls into that category of a more of an individual sport like swimming or things like that. There still is a, a group mentality. You do want to go out with friends and socialize, but uh, it, it's a very individualized sport. So in contrast, you know, um, mountain biking, it's kind of nice because uh, the trails are relatively free to use. You know, you just invest in the equipment uh, and then the time and you get to go for a ride. Connecting with nature is a Thing that I'm a big fan of and I think the kids get a kick out of is you know getting into the intermediate backcountry on some of the local trails it's you know we're not way back there but they're getting an education while we're at it what would you say some of the the big struggles with running youth programs would be one of the biggest ones we've grappled with out here is uh, just insurance for for running a program um, I mean insurance is always front of mind for us as a trail association when it comes to building the trails and, and doing it legally but when you talk about coaching kids and just being responsible for children. There's a whole other kind of kettle of fish you're opening up for insurance. And so when we've run the programs with the district through the leisure center and the parks and rec department, they cover us for their insurance. And then 
when we um, do it through schools, uh, the school programs I mentioned previously, that we have to have a teacher along because then it's covered by school insurance. Um, but we really couldn't find adequate coverage or a way to kind of a mechanism to do that well. And and so what's been a very fortunate revelation recently with uh, Cycling BC is they've released this iRide Sprock Kids program that's just come out. And um, we're jumping in with two feet because it, it allows for training of our coaches or, you know, uh, ride leads, which is key to then having safe programs. And then beyond that, it also adds insurance because you're now trained and they can kind of sanction it and, and you can operate under their um, their safety net. So that's been a huge step forward for us. It's relieved a lot of the sleepless nights I've had worrying about, you know, when I take somebody else's kids in the forest and something happens, now what do we do? So it, it's something that's moving ahead here locally. And it's something it's a big challenge to get a kids program going when I talk about those other sports, hockey, soccer and the like. They've got their insurance in place, but they've also got big governing bodies, national associations and provincial associations that help them with that. And so I do want to say Cycling BC in, in, in slotting into this has really been a, it's been a great uh, thing that's come up lately. How does the, the club get funding for these programs? We're trying on a variety of fronts. So we've, uh, here in Mission, so we're very fortunate that the district is a really good partner of ours in a variety of ways. And so they have supported us through a grant this year to, to acquire some of those bikes we talked about. The thing about, so I like to compare ourselves to those team sports you mentioned to try to figure out how we chart our course in, in this regard. So when you talk about like hockey or soccer, um, typically municipalities pay for the facility, right? The, they build the hockey rink, they build the soccer field, and then an association of uh, a nonprofit comes in and runs a, a sporting association to, to get the referees and everything else they need. Um, in mountain biking, I make the analogy that if we, you know if we compare to hockey, first we have to build the rink and then we have to play the games. And so we kind of have uh, FEMBA as an association by its kind of charter, if you will, uh, is a trail association. It's to you know advocate for the sport and and protect and and build on the trail network. So we're building the rink, but we didn't really have uh, any program for for getting kids into the biking. So when seeking funding. I'm trying to trying to recreate what hockey and soccer do, and it amounts to user fees, uh, which we have touched on. But um, a lot of times that adds that barrier to entry we try to avoid. And uh, we're seeking out things like gaming grants are available, but you have to have an established program running. So there's a bit of a challenge there. Yeah, so there, there are options out there for funding, but we're just kind of at the uh, ground level on that front. Why do you think programs like this are so important? Well, actually, quite frankly, there's nothing really out there like it around here. And so we get a lot of requests for it and and, and nobody's really stepping in to fill the gap. So we're trying to uh, trying to fill a hole, but also provide for provide for the youth and provide for the sport. One um, one other thing I try to get across the parents of kids that sign up for these programs is don't limit themselves either. Us as mountain bikers, we want to share what we love as, as a sport goes. And, and I want to, I'd love to see a kid and their parents get into it together. That's, I think, a magical combination. I think it, it benefits the sport. It benefits the community. There's, there's a lot going for it there. Well, Rocky, I want to thank you for taking the time to, to chat with me. How can people get in touch with the Fraser Valley Mountain Bike Association and, and get involved with, uh, with these programs? 
Best way is to email our kind of inbox at uh, info at fvmba.com, as well as um, look out in, in mission here. We've got a couple programs in the Leisure Guide, which is the uh, publication the district puts out for Parks and Recreation. So those, uh, I think the guide's out already, and uh, the programs are running this spring and uh, early summer are in there, as well as keep an eye out at our website. We're planning on some announcements uh, to do with some new programs we will be kicking off. One will be an iRide program in partnership with Cycling BC. Uh, one will be a uh, group ride sessions. We're trying to get a really informal group of kids that are already into biking, have bikes, but want to get out more regularly, as well as some after-school programs. Awesome. Thank you very much. All right. Thanks, Brent. Fraser Valley Mountain Bike Association is a great example of a trail association going above and beyond the mandate of just building and maintaining single track. By providing community programs for youth, they've become a key asset for the various municipalities in their region. When it comes to negotiations with land managers, I assure you that this type of community leadership is not forgotten. Jumping south of the border, my next guest is Bruce Martins. He's the national coach and licensing manager for the National Interscholastic Cycling Association more commonly known as NICA. Their goal is to create quality bike programs for every student athlete in America. Hey Bruce, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. In your words, what is NICA? NICA is the National Interscholastic Cycling Association. We're a group founded, a nonprofit grassroots organization founded in 2009 with the scope of providing uh, quality bike programs for every student uh, in America. What value does cycling bring to the community of, of youth out there? Cycling is, I believe, and, and we're finding through our program, one of the strongest methods for uh, youth development. We're focused on creating uh, quality student-athlete experiences uh, while riding the bicycle. Our mission is, again, to create programs for every student-athlete in America founded or, or on the precipice of our five core values, which are inclusivity equality, building strong minds, strong bodies, and strong character. What does uh, an average NICA program look like? Well, the programs are designed right now around NICA events. Uh, we function as an interscholastic sport in the 19 leagues and 18 states uh, where there is NICA programming currently. Uh, we are either a spring or fall sport, depending on the state and the league preference. Um, we're a, a club sport in that we have uh, school-based teams. We have composite teams that are formed around uh, a composite of schools. And then we have the opportunity for independent students to ride. So kids that go to like charter schools or our homeschooled, they can participate as well. Our programming currently is for 6th through 12th grade uh, registered students. And um, we provide ability-based categorization from middle school all the way through varsity sport. Awesome. So participants are, are doing race events. Um, is it, uh, is it specific to like cross country events or, or is it a little bit broader than that? Yeah, we actually do. Uh, we're, we're focused on cross country mountain biking. Uh, our number one objective is to provide a safe experience for kids while on the bike using cross country courses. We're able to control the variables such as speed, uh, community engagement, we can dictate the difficulty of the course, uh, create kind of a closed course, if you will, uh, allowing us to provide that safe aspect. 
uh, when safety is ensured, an educational and enjoyable experience is possible. So we focus on safety uh, with the objective of providing an educational and, and uh, enjoyable experience for everyone participating in our programs. So how can a community get involved? Well, that's the best part about a grassroots nonprofit organization. Uh, we are a small staff uh, who have a broad volunteer base. Uh, we have several coach licensing levels. Um, the, the easiest, least barrier to entry is simply passing a background check, completing a concussion certification course, taking our online free risk management webinar training and, and passing the test. Uh, and then registering with our program. So we have a waiver and a participation agreement to act in accordance with youth development and student-athlete-centered programming. So it's pretty straightforward, nice and easy. Um, we have uh, over 4,700 volunteers, coaches participating in our programs right now across the 19 leagues, and they're serving just over 12,000 student-athletes in the uh, 19 leagues that we're, we're working with. Currently, so easy access for uh, parents or interested community members. Um, we want to make sure you're credible. We want to make sure you understand uh, our inherent risk and how we manage that. And we want to make sure that we know who you are and where you are and who you're working with. So outside those things, um, we're, we're a very welcoming community of, of cyclists. We have coaches who represent all ability levels from very novice, just getting on the bike, uh, teachers who are really good at teaching and still learning bike skills to professional riders who come in and, and are really great with bike skills, but are learning uh, from those teachers how to teach. Uh, so it's a great cross-section of, of ability and skilled practitioners. Of course, we have the uh, average uh, quote-unquote Joe or Jane parent that shows up as well, and they can. there's roles for them uh, at the team level as, as well. So as a student participating in, in uh, the NICA program, are they going to various races? Are they traveling a great distance to do this kind of thing? Yeah, so the, the, the races are on, typically on the weekends. We uh, set up the course Friday, do a pre-ride Saturday, and, and depending on the league, either race Saturday or race Sundays. Uh, many leagues do racing on a Sunday. Uh, the typical drive time is about two, two and a half hours. Um, as you can imagine, you know, with some of the larger states, that uh, distance between home and, and event may be a little broader, maybe a little shorter. Uh, I know most leagues try to switch up venues so to provide equitable opportunity uh, in line with our equality core value to make sure that people have races in their communities as we rotate around from season to season. Awesome. Now, the participants, do you find that they come from, you know, quote unquote, mountain bike families? Or are you getting participants that, that don't necessarily do a lot of mountain biking? Maybe they have a bike and, and they just want to give it a try. It's really cool. We, we have both. Uh, naturally, the low hanging fruit are the people who are already out there doing this work and, and in this sport, who are passionate, independent of NICA and, and find it as a result of their uh, attraction, affiliation and, and current uh, mountain bike status. And, and then we you know, have kids who didn't really fit with the traditional ball and stick sports, uh, didn't fall into the conventional uh, after school sport structure. They, they pick up cycling. This is an uh, individual as well as a team sport. It's, it's not um, mainstream, if you will. And, and so we get a lot of people who come in never really having had uh, uh, an experience on the mountain bike before wanting to try something new and different. Uh, so a good, a good cross-section of, of both those ends of the spectrum. And as you can imagine, uh, people who fall somewhere in between. That's awesome. So what's next for NICA? 
Well, as a youth development organization, we sure look like a race organization right now. And, and indeed, our, our primary focus are the events. It's the celebration of the work that goes on uh, every day at practice. Uh, and, and it's the one that gets the most attention. And so really what we want to do is start to now say, hey, we've got this really great, credible program. We have events uh, to recognize and celebrate the work. Let's really formalize the effort and intention on youth development uh, which is well understood. And, and in Canada, you know, you guys have the long-term athlete development model uh, that's well ingrained in Cycling Canada. Uh, it's certainly a model for us that in, in here in, at NICA in, in the United States, something to aspire to more intentionally. So really keying in on those 10 key factors that that add to not just a, an ability to perform now and, and learn what it takes to train and compete, but find a passion in, in a sport that is a life sport. Um, so really focusing on the broader aspects of youth development, uh, including character and the psychological, the social aspects. Those things really actually tend to be the more, when, when surveyed, NICA student-athletes are most interested in the social and the opportunities to develop themselves as quality people in the world. Uh, the competition and fitness actually fall pretty low on the rating scale in, in terms of like 8 and 10 on the top 10 list of reasons why student athletes participate in our program. So I think we, we really, um, now that uh, we've got a really good momentum going and, and positive events to highlight and capture the, the work that happens, uh, our, our focus will be on refining our method and, and really professionalizing what is right now uh, an emerging field in coaching and youth development. How did you get involved in this? Oh, that's a great question. Um, so I'm, a, I'm first and foremost a parent. Uh, I have an 18-year-old uh, who's graduating this year. And um, in, admittedly, this is something that it was um, a, a passion of mine. I'm a, a cyclist. I've uh, been riding for about 20 years, racing uh, maybe 17 years now. Um, something I've been doing and, and working hard at uh, since my 20s. And something that I, I see as a family sport. Uh, my, my son grew up on the, the side of the race course, following me around the country as I, I raced both mountain bikes and road racing. So I've got the, the passion personally, and I'm a parent who was looking for something uh, to give back to my son with. Uh, and I, I live in Minnesota. We are the fifth NICA league to come on back in 2011 and 12. And I was on the founding committee that brought uh, the high school cycling league here to Minnesota. I uh, volunteered uh, on the on the course staff here uh, as chief course setter for many years. Um, helped bring the message to uh, schools and communities around our state regarding what what they had uh, in NICA. And over the last couple of years, uh, going into our sixth year now, we've got uh, just over a thousand student athletes coming up on sixty teams across the state of Minnesota. So I, I got into this as a volunteer, uh, as as somebody who. Who drank the Kool-Aid, saw the the opportunities, and and really worked hard to to develop them here at the local level. Uh, in 2014, uh, while out at a national uh, training conference, I had served in addition to my chief course setter role as a coach supporter here at the league level. Um, I have a background in coaching, and and uh, I have worked with several race teams and individuals, and and uh, ultimately ended up helping coaches. Uh, become better coaches of NICA student athletes here at the league level and uh, brought that message to the, the national community at this um, conference in Park City. And they said, well, gosh, we need somebody like you to, to head this up at the national level. Um, and so we created a position, uh, which is my current coach licensing 
and registration manager position. Um, and since that, since to, uh, August of 2014, I've been in this role, uh, growing the coach licensing program uh, in line with more of the international standards on uh, coach competencies and education, um, particularly in in light of youth development and uh, providing opportunities for for people who don't um, and and don't. Uh, right now, we're serving a very small fraction of the the community that we can serve. Um, so my personal vision is to make NICA the accrediting body for everyone working with kids on bikes in the United States and perhaps the world. Uh, I do have a vision and, and this has not been formally announced, but I'm, I'm comfortable in saying, you know, I, I have a I have a rough vision of what ICA would look like, the International Interscholastic Cycling Association. So one, one state, one one uh, country at a time. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. And then I, I uh, as a side, I, I finished up my master's in integrated behavioral health, which is um, the the. Uh, understanding of development and behavioral health, um, particularly substance use issues and, and behavioral health dis, uh, diagnoses, um, and, and particularly focusing on adolescent uh, development and the opportunities that we have in this second largest, most profound growth period in, in our evolution. So I have a particular interest in that. Yeah. And, and that touches on why this is so important, right? You know, getting mm-hmm. kids out, getting kids active and, and giving them something to do. And, and especially the kids that seem to be missed with engaging them in team sports, you know, and, and, and that's something that, you know, I certainly saw value in mountain biking. And, and, uh, and I think there's a lot of kids out there that, that maybe wouldn't think about living an active lifestyle if it, if it wasn't for an alternative to, uh, to team sports. Yeah. And, and, you know, what, what's interesting is, is like, we've known this from since the eighties, right. And, and even earlier, and, and I've got research that goes back, you know, decades that, that shows what we all have found intuitively and, and through our own experience is that, you know, cycling or, or sports in general, cycling as, as it pertains to us, um, is a way for us to, to, to have a, a, a tribe, you know, it's our group, it's, it's the people we hang with and, um, you know, so there's the social aspect too, which is again, the most important part of, uh, NICA when, when surveyed, when the NICA student athletes are surveyed. Um, and then, you know, there's the, the whole awareness of what, what the physical capacity and, and opportunities are. But what's really exciting to me is the latest research in the, the neuroscience and what actually happens in the brain as a result of physical activity and, and more primarily, um, accelerated, pro, uh, sustained physical activity over time. One of my favorite articles right now is, is, is highlighting the opportunity for cycling to be an intervention to behavioral health issues such as ADHD, depression, anxiety. And in a world where, you know, sometimes kids are being diagnosed as early as six with these, you know, behavioral health issues, when you have a, a, a intervention that has been proven to be more effective than psychopharmacologic interventions, so pills and, and prescriptions, um, when you've got a, a method that's more effective than psychotherapy, which you know a lot of parents revert to in schools and, and systems, when you've got a, a, an intervention that is more effective than both of those combined for symptom reduction in ADHD, depression, anxiety, and the like, we've got a pretty powerful case, you know, to, to really start to take a look more, more formally at what we're going to do to support this and, and create opportunities for, for kids. You know, the, the studies show that not only do we get prefrontal cortex engagement, which is one of the strongest reasons why we're seeing um, some of these, what, what they call acting out 
issues or symptoms as a result of these depression, ADHD, anxiety, and, and the like. Not only do we get that prefrontal and cortex engagement, but we're actually seeing growth. So neural networks forming. The, the basic uh, prescription is, is 43 minutes at 120 BPM. Um, when you've got kids who are, are diagnosed with type 2 diabetes, oftentimes overweight, when you've got people who are feeling alienated and apart from and, and searching deeply for uh, opportunities to be part of, what other you know, sport or exercise gives a kid 43 minutes of safe, elevated heart rate that's going to keep them engaged and, and motivated? You know, we have running, but again, for a 14-year-old who's got type 2 overweight running for 43 minutes a couple times a week is going to be really hard on their body. It's And, and as, as a result, you're not going to see them doing it. When you, you've got swimming, which is you know equally effective as cycling, but not nearly as social. And when you see that, that swimming pools aren't readily available around the country um, for, for kids the way bikes are, um, not a logical solution. And, you know, here in, in Minnesota, we've got Nordic, but that's a hard sell for folks down in Georgia and Alabama. <laughs> and so, um, you know, I, I think cycling's our ticket, you know, and, and it's the it's all inclusive with gears and, and different styles of bikes. You know, we can get that kid who's overweight, who's suffering from anxiety and depression uh, as a result of, um, you know, inactivity. And we've got this solution that not only engages their prefrontal cortex and allows them to think critically and start to ration through some of these emotions, but we also have an opportunity for them to be social and, and um, enjoy the outdoors, uh, coupled with the fact that the, the bike provides for transportation and, and get some of these kids out of their, their neighborhoods or the situations that are causing the, the symptoms in the first place or, or attributed to this, the symptoms. Um, we got a powerful tool. And so again, just on the, on the, the brink of, of learning more about this, um, that neuroscience research is just starting to come out. I think started back in December of 2015 and we're seeing more and more uh, articles We've got Specialized invested in an ADHD pilot program right now, looking at a tier one study, um, using the bike as an intervention for ADHD. So I think, I think that's our greatest opportunity. And when we talk about community building and, and creating assets to our society um, through the youth, using cycling as a tool, it really makes me excited. And, and that's the potential for NICA. That's, that's what we have uh, on our plate. Clearly no small task. But we have a, a ready-made user group. We've got some really competent people who have uh, experienced what we know to be possible much through their programming and, and through their anecdotal experience with these kids. And um, the, the object, object right now would be to maybe capture some of this and really start to highlight some of the, the things that are going on uh, as best practice and get this information out to the rest of the community. How can listeners get in touch with NICA? Well, our website is www.nationalmtb.org. All of our contact information is available through the website, uh, along with a description of the programming, the states that we're in, contact uh, information for people within those regions. And uh, each state also has their own website. So it's simply www.thestatemtb.org. So for example, here in Minnesota, you can see what we're doing at the local level at www.minnesotamtb.org. And then you can always reach out to me. I'm happy to, to field uh, questions, comments, concerns around our programming and most, more particularly around coaching and um, how to get involved. Uh, my email is bruce at nationalmtb.org. 
Uh, and I'm happy to, again, to have conversations with any of your listeners who want more information. Awesome. Well, Bruce, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me. Uh, it's been uh, it's been awesome. Yeah, thank you. And I really appreciate your time. I hope to be on again sometime soon. And, and uh, we'll look forward to following your show. For sure. Thank you. Take care. Big thanks to both of my guests, Rocky Blondin and Bruce Martins. I'd also like to thank last episode's guests, Joshua Rebinock, for getting me in touch with Bruce. As most episodes go, my conversations tend to spur on further discussions, and this time was no different. Bruce touched on a bit of his expertise in integrated behavioral health, and I'm looking forward to having him back to discuss what mountain biking can do for behavioral health diagnosis and substance abuse, so definitely look for that. Well, on the topic of future episodes, Frontlines is currently looking for contributors. So if you have a story that you want to share, then let me know. No experience is required. As the show becomes more popular, I want to include more voices than my own. And more importantly than that, I want to include more views and opinions than just my own. So you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, at BrenskyBikeSki. You can also send me an email, or if you want to include your voice in a future episode, then send me an audio file, brent at bikeski.ca. Music is once again by Lee Rosevere. Production notes by Jennifer Pride. Next episode, my guest will be Thomas Schoen of the Caribou Mountain Bike Consortium. He'll tell us just what a consortium is and why they're so helpful in developing and promoting local ride destinations. And like always, if you enjoyed the show and you haven't already, leave us a review on iTunes or whatever podcatcher you use. It helps others find the show and it's really important. And finally, I'm Brent Hillier. This is Frontlines. Thanks for listening and happy trails.